This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. Labour peace throughout Ontario as the OSSTF union and the government will avoid any sort of strike. So if you have a high schooler at an OSSTF school, there's not going to be any labour disruption. By the way, that doesn't mean there's a lot of uh, singing of uh, We Are the World or Kumbaya or Tears Are Not Enough or anything uh, between the OSSTF and, uh, and Stephen Lecce and the provincial government. Not by a long shot, not at all, uh, but they've agreed, and I. this is a pathway the elementary teachers haven't chosen or refused to choose, but the OSSTF, I think, is getting some praise from their members for saying, if we can't get a deal done, let's push it in front of somebody who's a total neutral about this, an arbitrator, and they'll decide. And so they feel they must feel really strongly about their case. Because you wouldn't send this to an arbitrator if you felt like, ah, let's ask for the moon and the stars and, and see if we get it. Because the practical universe we live in might be more inclined to say, ah, you're asking for too much. You don't get this. You don't get that. We'll see how much they're shooting for the moon. Like I'm just going to tell you offhand, a teacher I spoke to last night told me they expect over the next four years to get a raise between 15 and 20 percent. Would he say that on the record? He would not, but 15 to 20% raise. Are, are you getting, are you getting a 15 to 20% raise over the next four years? Uh, I thought not, but with the rate of inflation and with everything else that moves along, that's got the potential to happen. That's what he thinks anyway. So um, that's a big deal and something to keep our eyes on all day long is the reaction to it. The OSSTF unions doing something that I would bet the elementary teachers are saying, well, that sounds pretty good. We don't want to go on strike. We don't want people rolling down their windows and yelling at us for walking around with pickets. We don't want, we're parents too. We don't want our kids at home. So bottom line, no strike coming for, uh, for the high schools, no strike vote. They get this done and they go to binding arbitration near the end of October. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. Well, it's been quite a tumultuous 10-day stretch in the House of Commons and in Ottawa. And uh, worth asking our next guest if he's ever seen anything like it for years as uh, Canada's chief correspondent on The National, now hosting a brilliant podcast called The Bridge with Peter Mansbridge. He is the one and only Peter Mansbridge. It's great to have you back on Toronto today. Thank you for making the time for us. Thank you, Greg. It's always good to talk to you. I, I think we would have chatted perhaps anyway. I would have pushed to say, what about this remarkable scenario with India? What about the idea of a, of a state-sponsored assassination in uh, Surrey, B.C.? But we've had a lot more happen since then. Can you, You've covered massive shock events but I'm not sure that you've seen 10 days maybe like it in House of Commons recent history, or have you? Well, unfortunately, I've been around for quite a while, so I, I've seen a lot. I mean, the the fact is, the, you know, Parliament, no matter which party's in power, sort of bounces from one scandal to another. Um, these were, you know, close together, uh, the, the two of the last two weeks. It's funny how the one this week involving the Speaker. Mm-hmm. Uh, has almost in some ways eclipsed the one last week involving India. Like it's just not talked about anymore. Now it may well get back to it, uh, because it was a pretty important story. Uh, they're both important, but, um, in terms of, have I seen anything like this before? There were elements to what we've witnessed in the last two weeks that I've never seen before. Uh, but overall, as I said, 
we, we, we tend to bounce from one scandal to another. In 2023, it reminded me of, and I know you would have remembered this story and you would have been on the desk for this story a ton uh, regarding um, prior World War II uh, war criminals. The John Demyaniuk story in Ohio, he was a retired auto worker at that point in his 70s and people pointed at him, Peter, and said, you're Ivan the Terrible from World War II and it became this massive thing. How much does the U.S. government cooperate? What's that going to be like if he's flown back to Israel for a trial? I don't know that we'll have quite the sensational coverage of this one, but that one, like that, and that's pre-internet, Peter. That shook us to the foundations, didn't it? It did, but it it, it wasn't a you know a one-off. There were more than a few of those. So the the, the Maniac one uh, did gain a lot of attention because it uh, spanned borders and it was mm-hmm. put on trial in different places, but. Um, but we've had similar situations in Canada where, you know, guys well into their 70s, 80s, some cases now 90s, uh, have been uh, pointed out as uh, as those who were involved or potentially involved in various war crimes. Uh, and should the Canadian government, in our case, have let them in uh, post-war? Why didn't we know about them? What are you going to do about it now? Uh, there have been these kind of situations. Um this one, you know, the, the, the whole issue of this uh, division of the SS um, in, uh, in Ukraine has come up before um, mm-hmm. in terms of the Duchesne Commission uh, years ago looked at specifically at this group and couldn't determine in the end whether there had been actual war crimes committed. Um, but the fact that they were working under the auspices of the SS there was of that no doubt, um, but they didn't pursue uh, charges or crimes uh, assigned to any of these people, including uh, the fellow who was standing in the gallery last weekend or Peter, last week. Peter Mansbridge, our guest on Toronto Today on 640 Toronto. You wrote a, a book called They Fought in Color with Paul Gross, and, and it was a look more at Canada's first world war um, effort and and World War One veterans. Of, of those, we have precious few but also our brave men and women from World War II are starting to um, pass away from natural causes. Like we think about how much, how many years have gone by over the span of 80, 85 years. So this is just, this story more remarkable that this man is, as we talk about Peter, was living in in North Bay, small community, pretty close-knit small town. And we talked to somebody from North Bay a couple of days ago, the shockwaves emanating through there. I mean, this wasn't in a major city. This was somebody that you might have seen the relatives at the grocery store or at the post office, that kind of stuff. Yeah, I, I mean, let me make it very clear uh, first about this this guy. I, I think it's outrageous that he was uh, allowed in, that the speaker invited him in, that the speaker clearly, nor did anyone on uh, his staff seem to know the background of the history or how embarrassing this could be. Um uh, to uh, mm-hmm. Parliament, to uh, President Zelensky, uh, to everyone involved, it was uh, it, it was outrageous, and the fact that nobody seemed to know and nobody twigged on the day of as to what was going on here. But let me make it clear: this guy wasn't hiding in North Bay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He's actually proud of his service during the Second World War. It's complicated, and one has to really go through it to understand what was going on, but the bottom line is he fought with the Waffen-SS. 
he was fighting with a Nazi unit. And, you know, he was fighting against the Russians. But there were a lot of other things going on in terms of the, uh, 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 of the Waffen-SS in, in, uh, mm-hmm. in Ukraine involving uh, uh, Jews. So, I mean, let's, let, let's not kid ourselves about what was happening there. But also, let's not ignore the fact that he wasn't hiding. He gave interviews. He had a blog. It was, you know, it's kind of out there as to what he was doing and why he was doing it, which makes it, makes it even more unbelievable that nobody figured this out before last Friday. Uh, and instead, he ended up as a, you know, as a guest at an incredibly important and one assumes very secure, at least we hoped it had been, uh, situation on on Parliament with the, the visitor, a, a leading dignitary, the president of a country at war. I mean, <laughs> that's, it, it is kind of inconceivable when you think about that. You sure can't make it up. And I and I think about Zelensky as you say that, Peter. And the, you know, for the last, be, given what a public image he's had in the last seventeen months since the the Russian invasion started, and how he's had to choose his places to go. And his conversations so carefully, so precisely, not only for for image, um, but but the fact that there'd be a gigantic price on his head from hundreds of thousands of people that would benefit from from his demise. And and he's been so careful and it's been all chosen the right way. And then this Friday in Canada, in Ottawa, like, again, you can't make it up. No, I, you know, you have to wonder. I, I, I've studied his facial expressions in that moment when the cameras were on him, as Zelensky I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. And you, like, this guy knows his country's history, right? The president. He must have, he must have thought something when he heard the introduction and where this guy had fought and I, for whom. It, he must have... He must have thought something. Now, he has not said anything since the story came out about it. Um, I assume at some point he will, uh, and it'll be interesting to see what, what he says. But hmm. all we have are the images and the pictures of him listening, smiling, and clapping. It's like all the others in the picture, everybody, not just the Trudeau front bench, the conservative front bench, including their leader, Um the NDP, the Black Quebecois, everybody was cheering in this moment. That not one of them, and I, and I include myself in this, you know, the media, nobody twigged in those initial moments. Within 24 to 48 hours, people were starting to do the research. But no one on that day figured it out Cause or it, knew of it. And it... It's the same old thing, Greg. It's about like, what do we know about our own history? Well, it's so unexpected and we leave so much behind in school and, you know, you, you do what you do, people do what they do, and they've just got basically their the next eight hours of their day sometimes in front of them. But when you say that, I, I watched it live and for a second it didn't occur to me what Anthony Rhoda, now the former speaker, had said. And it's like, here's a man who fought against the Russians in World War II, and then Monday, I'm like, you're just doing a facepalm, basically, going, they were with us from 1941 to 1945. Russia was against Nazi Germany and Austria. Like, it doesn't occur to you at the time because it would be so stupendously unexpected to think that it would be the wrong, he'd be on the wrong side. 
there, you know, it is a little complicated. You're quite right. Uh, you know, Russia became the enemy of, of Nazi Germany in 41. They were the ally in 39, 40 and, mm-hmm. and uh, the first half of 41. Um, so you go, well, you know, maybe it was at the beginning, but it wasn't at the beginning. And we knew it wasn't in the beginning. <laughs> when he said he was with the uh, SS, you know, people, the, the SS was doing a specific thing in the Ukraine, the, the Waffen SS. Um, and you know, they were clearing, mm-hmm. clearing out people uh, and, and not in a nice way uh, in, in, in any fashion. Um, you know, so I don't know. We all fell short here. I don't know how this is going to play out. Uh, it's turmoil on Parliament Hill. Liberals are in chaos, already had been before this happened. Now they're in more. They're having meetings of caucus and cabinet without the prime minister this week. I mean, there are some very strange things going on, and I don't know how it's all going to play out. Peter Mansbridge is our guest. Uh, his podcast, The Bridge, you can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts as well, and he's kind enough to give us some of his time on 640 Toronto. That's sort of what I wanted to end with. Um, John Manley, somebody who you'd know and have talked to many times, a former deputy prime minister, he made the analogy that, to the show Seinfeld, and he said Seinfeld got to nine years, and then they all looked around and said, ah, can we recycle new stuff or should we go on and do other things? And he kind of said... Around nine years, as you'd know, Peter, is kind of the shelf life for a prime minister and his inner circle. And we're coming up on, well, eight years this fall. Um, are you seeing some of the same things you'd see when Justin's own father started to lose popularity in early 84? Or even the Mulroney government, late 92, early 93? Are any of the symptoms sort of, we've got a different world we live in, of course, but are any of the symptoms the same in your eyes? Yeah, his father lasted from 68 to, to 84, so, you know, it was more than the rich. <laughs> there was a brief hiccup there in 79, but, um, yeah, I've got to be careful on this one. I was 30 years <laughs> the actor of the national, but <laughs> uh, somehow managed to fluke my way through that's that. Three, but, that's three and a half Seinfelds, Peter. You should be proud, honestly. Right. I don't want to argue with John Manley, but um, uh, because... He has a point. There is this kind of 10-year thing with governments, and it's not just a Canadian thing. Uh, it goes elsewhere. It's, a, you know, it's one of the, <laughs> one of the reasons they, some argue for the uh, term limits, like in the United States, because at a certain point, you know, governments get tired. Ideas get tired. Um, there are issues on uh, times on the uh, you know the corruption side what's that phrase what's that phrase you know what power corrupts absolute power right uh, corrupts absolutely and sometimes absolute power is is associated with the uh, with a length in office so you know the all these little uh, uh, kind of side ticks are working against the government right now uh, in terms of uh, their future but they're you know, and they, clearly the polls are not in their favor, but, you know, it's, uh, it, we could be two years from an election. Uh, it's, it, it's a little early to, uh, to make predictions yet, but for Trudeau, you know, there will, there will be more questions now raised about, you know, is it time for him to go? Um, and if it is, who's sitting there waiting in the wings to take over, uh, and how, how popular might that be? So, you know, it's, it's, 
political game never stops. There's always something in it. I think you nailed it. Like that's the last thing I'd, I'd, I'd leave with is that you, you kind of you either step out of the way of the train and, and you do that if you're Brian Mulroney or you do that. You had John Turner and Jean Chrétien fighting it out to to take over. They were both, you know, um, both had their strength as heir, heirs apparent, if you will, in the summer of uh, of '84. And yet, sometimes, like bring it home closer to provincially, your Kathleen win and you get going in a provincial election campaign in 2018. And everybody around them, she knows what's going to happen two weeks in. So there is that when your time's up. There's that damned if you do, damned if you don't thing. Exactly. And our time's up. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> That's somebody yeah, who's, you're, who's working you're, you're right. You're right. <laughs> Listen, at the end of the day, it's the people who make the decision. You know, it's not it's not Justin Trudeau. It's not Pierre Polyev. It's not uh, Jagmeet Singh. It's the people who will make the decision on this. And, and it's one thing to, uh, to to give your vote in a poll. It's another thing to to make it on election day. So, you know, as Diefenbaker used to say, <laughs> the only. Uh, the only things polls are, are good for are for dogs. So <laughs> we'll see what happens when people actually start to vote because it's their choice. You can always hear him on the bridge with Peter Mansbridge. That's the legendary voice, and we appreciate his time this morning on Toronto Today. Peter, always a pleasure. And again, thank you for doing that for our audience today. No problem, Greg. You take care. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. The National Day of Truth and Reconciliation began in 2021. It, it was not without its controversy in uh, in that moment, because you might remember that the prime minister was not in Ottawa or at any ceremonies on that September, to 30, September 30th. He took a vacation to a beach in Tofino, British Columbia, and media tracked him down there. And they're like, what are you doing on the beach? He did apologize for that. He's doing that a lot lately. And he said, I should have been there. And he's probably right. If you're if you're Joe Biden, you need to be you need to be somewhere on September 11th. You can't do the you can't do the work ahead of time on September the 10th. But it's on a Saturday this year. So like we don't have a usual day of programming, so we'll do a lot of it tomorrow. And I think schools will address the National Day of Truth and Reconciliation tomorrow. We want to drill down on that a little bit uh, with a guest we live having on regularly. He's a Toronto Catholic District School Board trustee. He is Marcus Domenico. Marcus, it's great always to have you on Toronto today. Thanks for getting up early for us. Hey, Greg, how are you? It's a pleasure to be here. Really good. Do we have a tentative deal uh, to have conversations on the radio? Do we have a deal to have a deal um, to well, have conversations on the radio? I think we do. We have a deal to have a deal to speak about having <laughs> back on the show, and I'll deal with that later. Whatever works. And someday I'll, I'll buy you lunch for, for keeping up your part of the deal. Um, two years ago, we started, we were doing this a long time before um, in terms of, educating uh, students about residential schools and First Nations heritage and customs of indigenous people. The, the, the teaching of that and the culture has changed a lot anyway before 2021 from when, I'll reference it, you and I were in elementary school and high school, right? Yeah, for sure. It's actually the first pillar of our equity action plan is the reflection on the Catholic relationship with Indigenous people and the harm that was done through Indigenous schools, or sorry, through residential schools. Mm -hmm. So we're very focused on the reflection that will happen tomorrow across the board and the honoring of our relationship and uh, looking to reconcile with all Indigenous peoples. How do students take the news, and maybe especially in the Catholic stream, 
that, um, and and I, I'm sure it lands differently for a you know 15 year old than it does a seven year old. That um, a lot of bad things were done, and it doesn't make uh, us bad people or bad descendants of some of these people. It doesn't make you a bad family. It's just we look back and we're like, history was different. Things were done wrong. We wouldn't do it the same way again in any capacity, but we need to learn it. Well, I think like all issues in schools, it has to be uh, very age appropriate. The, the point that we're trying to make is that we have a troubled relationship uh, with our indigenous peoples. We've had it. We're here to recognize it, to acknowledge it, and to go forward uh, respecting and learning about the culture. I've personally been involved in bringing in things like smudging ceremonies into Ward 2, and it's really quite uh, an amazing thing to experience. The students appreciate it very much, and the elders speak to the students at, at a level, uh, once again, age-appropriate, that they can understand about culture and how our cultures uh, have clashed at times, unfortunately, for the Indigenous population. Marcus Domenico is our guest from the Toronto Catholic District School Board on Toronto Today on 640 Toronto. That's the second time, and I mean this in a good way, that you've referenced age appropriate, but I think that puts parents' minds at ease. And generally speaking, what I see and what I hear from educators all around the board is, all around different boards, the curriculum is almost always age appropriate. But, but now and then you get a teacher, it happens, that kind of colors outside the lines and tells six-year-olds, um, the, the climate is killing us, the planet has no future, we're all going to die. And <laughs> those are practical conversations, maybe more, and not even in that tone for, for a 16-year-old and not a six-year-old. But generally speaking, the curriculum is always meant to be age-appropriate. Yes, it is meant to be, and it's, it's designed that way. Um, I mean, teachers follow the curriculum, but of course they have their own way of interpreting issues and what they would think is age appropriate. In the vast, vast majority of cases, it's not a problem. I think in terms of the climate issue, you can create what's called climate anxiety in very young people if someone takes the position that, well, you have five years, we have five years on the planet and then it's all over. That would not be a very, very smart idea. And it's certainly not truthful either. I only got a couple of minutes, but I want you to be able to stretch this out um, because uh, I was at a university night for my 12th grader last night and looking at the curriculum and looking at because the, they're obviously reminding kids what your compulsory courses are, what courses you'd need if you want to study this. And I always think there's two courses that jump off the page to me and apologies to all the math people, science people. Um, I always think we need maybe more phys ed in high school than just the one year. Maybe we do. But I, I think this last weekend and what happened in the House of Commons, rep, it reminds me that we need to know our history also. And when I, when I heard the Speaker of the House say, ah, oh, you know, this guy fought, uh, fought against the Russians I'm in 1943, I'm like, the Russians were on our side in 1943. And all of us should sort of feel a little bashful that we didn't catch it right away all on Friday night. Um, could we teach more history in our schools to prevent moments like this? Well, you're really asking the right person because I'm a huge history buff. Um, I believe it's so vitally important. I mean, the oldest phrase is, you know, if you don't understand your history, you're you're doomed to repeat it. Um, I actually watched that introduction because I'm so involved uh, in my ward. And, of course, we all are with the Ukrainian issue and watching President Zelensky. And as soon as it was said, I thought, that's a very odd comment because... Mm -hmm. Uh, the SS, the Waffen-SS, were the military arm uh, of the German uh, government, of Hitler's uh, government, 
And, you know, at that time period, that's what was going on. So we have to understand the issues. I think it was a terrible, terrible mistake. It truly led a, a terrible color to what was going on, that beautiful celebration in Parliament of the struggles of the Ukrainian people. And then to have the Speaker and, you know, I suspect other people involved in allowing that to get through is uh, very shameful. Yeah, it was uh, it was a rough one. I got to leave it there. Thanks for giving us a preview of what to expect in some of our schools tomorrow. I always enjoy our conversations. You have a great weekend. Enjoy the weather. Thanks, Greg. Greg, take care. Marcus Domenico joining us from the Toronto Catholic District School Board. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. I want to zero in on this big story um, about the uh, deceased in Ferguson, why this took 14 years. And it's a frustratingly very limited sentence uh, for the couple that was involved. It's one thing to say, well, this should have been taken care of and the family should get justice way sooner than a decade and a half. But there's a lot of extenuating circumstances around it. David Shelnut often joins our show uh, and a couple other shows on our radio station as well. He's known as the biking lawyer and he's on Toronto today. David, thanks for making the time for us. Morning, Greg. Always happy to. This is a remarkably, remarkably frustrating story. Um, and obviously it was one that, that came to light quite late and for almost a decade and a half after this boy was initially killed in uh, in 2008. But the sentence is something that everybody's talking about or the lack thereof. Yeah, this, this reads like uh, something you would see on Netflix in a true crime episode. Uh, but but it's happened in our backyard, and, and I grew up in this area. Mm-hmm. And just like Lucas Short, Shorthead, who was killed walking home from a party uh, uh, in the area, I've done some too. So this is this really hits home. Yeah, this happened in uh, October of 2008. He's walking home in Alma, Ontario, around midnight, hit by a driver who fled the scene. Um, and and the oddest part of the story is this man who would have been in his late 30s at this point in time had his 11-year-old son sitting in the back seat. And instead of, again, what have I done? I'm going to take responsibility. I'm going to report this accident or at least stay on the scene. It got, it got as you said, a lot more Dateline Netflix from there, didn't it? Oh, it's, how, how you convince your entire family to uh, cover up the death of a young person like Lucas built, to the extent of building a fake wall uh, to, to hide your car for uh, a decade uh, is, is just wild. Um, and, and so when you hear uh, that, you know, he gets 2.5 years uh, for, for fleeing the scene of a, of a death uh, at the roadside and for obstructing justice and his wife, who was his partner in crime, get six months, none of which are served in a facility, uh, you, you really you really can see how folks would get upset. My, my heart just aches for the community and especially Lucas's family. Yeah, the driver pled guilty to failing to remain at the scene of an accident causing bodily harm or death and obstructing justice. And as David mentioned, a two and a half year sentence behind bars, three years probation on driving. You and I talk about issues at times with with police. I have to think that you would sit with cops at a table right now and you'd all be in alignment. You'd all say exactly the same thing. We're doing nothing to deter people like this from being so nefarious, Um, because if they say, well, it's it's not going to be much of a sentence if I eventually get caught. Here's part and parcel as to why people would think that. Greg, I'm 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 entirely sure that would be the case. T- today, I'm hit, I'm I'm hung into a mediation of a cyclist uh, hit on the Lakeshore East bike lane uh, by a driver who failed to yield the right of way, shattered his ankle, 
uh, and had surgery. Uh, he's a chef, and it's going to affect his ability to stand in the kitchen for the rest of his life. The prosecutor tossed the charge against the driver, and we have no idea why. No, 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 no calls were made to our client to be a witness, nothing like that. Uh, just out of nowhere, uh, the defendant said that, well, no, the charges are gone. Um, if, if someone hears you describe this, do we contact members of parliament? Do we contact members of provincial parliament? People are going to be angry hearing this, and they'll say, what can I do besides just being angry? What would you tell them to do? That's exactly it. We tell uh, cyclists uh, and, and pedestrians and all vulnerable road users across the province to, to ask your local MPP to support the private members bill that protects vulnerable road users. It's the Moving Ontarian Safely Act, and there's a private members bill. Uh, MPP Joel Harden just biked all the way from Ottawa to Toronto uh, to, to deliver this message on, yeah. on behalf of, yeah. of so many people. Uh, and, and so this is there, and, and the government's talking about it. And I know folks, if your MPPs heard from you and said, listen, we need to get yeah. serious about things on our roads, they listen to you. David, let's stay on this. Thanks for the time today. Thanks, Greg. David Shelnut, he's the biking lawyer.